Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday, I believe it is. It's hard to figure out what day it is today. Uh, down here at San Antonio covering the U.S. Army All-America Bowl with Gerard Martinez. We're here on behalf of USCFootball.com, but we wanted to still talk about the Cotton Bowl. So we've got Dan Weber on the line, going to answer, man, so many questions you guys have sent in about USC, the Cotton Bowl, the loss to Ohio State, and of course, Moving forward, what changes need to be made? If you have any questions or comments, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call or text. The number is 424-254-9141. Leave us a voicemail. Send us a text. We do love to hear from you. And we have a lot of people that have written in, excuse me, written in and called in and texted in today. We're going to try to answer all of your questions, all of your concerns, do do it to the best of our ability, and we're going to do that with the help of Dan Weber. Hello, Dan. How are you, sir? Hanging in there. Doing doing pretty good. I'm glad we're out of Dallas. I saw it was going to go to, what, 17 tonight? What What's it like there in San Antonio? It's chilly, chilly here in San Antonio, like gloves, hat. Um, luckily, it's been so cold that they're practicing indoors, so we're usually outside Ooh. in the cold, but we're inside the Alamo Dome, so it's even a little chilly in there. But yeah, it's in the teens or something. I don't know. It's it's whatever. It's uh, Gerard looked at me funny when I said that. It's it's really cold. Maybe twenties, thirties, or something. Or that's closer. Well, it feels colder when you're in a place where it's not supposed to be that cold. That's uh, that's always been uh, been my problem. And you could tell in Dallas it was getting there. It oh was, yeah, it was coming. Yeah, a good thing that game was not in the old the old Cotton Bowl. That would that would have been uh, that would have been a little grim. No, it was beautiful inside the, uh, you know, Jerry's world that was like, you know, 70 degrees. I mean, that was, that place is a palace. So um, that was not so bad being in there. I mean, the game obviously wasn't so good, but uh, being in there wasn't so bad. Yeah, I enjoyed the pregame a lot. The pregame was fun. That was uh, more people on the sidelines than you can hardly remember. Uh, just, they, uh, they allowed people to be on the sidelines for 150 bucks. That was <laughs> and, a deal, yeah. Know, wherever they wanted, you know. And I think it's four fifty for a Cowboys game, but just one fifty for uh, for the Cotton Bowl. So I think a lot of people took them up on that. We met uh, a number of USC fans who uh, who were down there just hanging out. So that was fun, actually, until until the game started. Yeah, until the game started. But at least they got you know their money's worth if they got to be on the sidelines and. We got to talk to, like, Michael Morgan, uh, Dion Bailey. Um, I didn't get to see uh, Marcus Allen. He was apparently down there. A bunch of uh, bunch of former USC greats. And like like Dan said, fans would come up to us and, like, hey, we're longtime subscribers to the Peristyle, or we listen to the podcast, and they would just come up and, and chat with us and stuff. So that was definitely that was definitely fun. I thought the, you know, and we did a, I think we did a Periscope or a Facebook Live down there on the field, and chatted about what was going on see the dallas cowboy cheerleaders coming in and all this. there was you know it was definitely a neat uh, environment there yeah there was a real uh bottleneck 
coming onto the field uh, at the moment that the uh, they decided to take a photo, a group sh- a photo of the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders with the USC song girl. And just for some reason, <laughs> there was a really big crowd down in the corner yes. at that point in time. <laughs> That was pretty funny. Yeah, I, did, I was. I think we were doing our Facebook live, so I didn't get over there to get a, a photo of that. Um, so I was like, dang, I can't do it. My phone's being used to do our, our Facebook live. Um, okay, well let's. We're gonna talk about the game before we jump into that. Wanted to thank our sponsor. They've been a great sponsor. Appreciate them all season long. Uh, Trader Joe's, uh, 50 years in business as of August of 2017, and uh, we've been. Lucky enough to be able to work with them, and, and they've been absolutely wonderful. We appreciate it. Uh, like I've told you before, there's a brand new one that opened up near my house in Hermosa Beach, and my wife and I uh, frequent it, and uh, we do a lot of our staple shopping there, you know, like milk, eggs, bread, butter, uh, things like that, pick up cereal, whatever. Um, but, you know, there's lots of cool stuff, exotic stuff that you can get uh, making for dinners, um, beers, wines, you know, if you want to just have some cheese selections for a snack uh lots of great stuff uh at trader joe's those very popular usc trader joe's bags we, we might have to do another event there and maybe next august uh dan if they get more of those bags in. Those, those were very popular just if we said those bags were there the the reusable usc trader joe's bags, i think a lot of people would show up again absolutely without a doubt and then we got to salute trader joe's uh, they had a great float in the Rose Parade. Oh, uh, I didn't terrific. see that. Uh, okay. Yeah, so uh, uh, it, it kind of a one-of-a-kind. I wish I could describe it better. I'm not, not all that good. I just know it was a pretty much one-of-a-kind, uh, one-of-a-kind float. And uh, it just seemed like got singled out just because uh, it was something that everybody knows Trader Joe's and that they were excited that Trader Joe's had a float in the, uh, in the Rose Parade, and it was really a cool, uh, cool deal. So uh, congratulations. Nice. All right. Well, we like I said, we have so many questions. We just should jump right into it. And uh, I think pretty much every topic that you could want to be discussed about the Cotton Bowl and USC going forward has to be represented uh, in these questions. And these are, like I said, these are the only ones that were sent in for Dan specifically. Uh, I already did an emergency show. I did a show with uh, Harvey Hyde. I still have piles of questions for another show that we can do, but... Um, Dan usually, I think you probably get the lion's share. The most, a lot of good questions come to Dan, so we want to try to make sure we get to all of these. Uh, we're going to start with a voicemail. Uh, this is um, Montgomery uh, in San Dimas. He actually called in uh, twice, so let me let me play this voicemail for you. Hey guys, Montgomery from San Dimas. Just some reflections on the game last night. Um, Hats off to Pendergrass. Did a great job. Great game plan. Defense played hard the whole game. Um, definitely a good showing by the defense. But on to the offense. Uh, pretty typical of the season that we saw this year. And I just can't get over the, uh, the actual structure of the offense with all of the silly little motion and everybody has to be going somewhere pre-snap. It really doesn't affect the uh, the design of the play. It's not like we're fooling anybody with our, our motion where we're running in place and waiting for the ball to be snapped. Why not just line up and run at people? Um, we're supposed to be USC. This is just not acceptable. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Hey, guys. Montgomery from San Dimas again. So 
some more thoughts about the offense. Um, obviously, Bebe struggled tremendously in pass protection the whole game. Um, isn't it time maybe we uh, get somebody else in there that can actually block somebody? Also, um, when Ohio State was obviously going to blitz and bring uh, their safety or their outside backers, our receivers did not recognize that at all, and nobody came up hot. Um, the, the receivers were running down the field, not even looking back at Sam for a quick pass so he could uh, get rid of it. Um, there's just some very, very basic, serious problems with this offense, and I don't think this coaching staff um, is going to be able to take us to the national level. What are your thoughts, guys? Okay, uh, Montgomery, I think you're asking a question that, that crossed a lot of people's minds uh, about the structure of the offense and the motion and what are they getting out of that motion and all of that. And some of that just seems to be a carryover, you know, from uh, the Sarkisian days. Um, and, and we asked those questions then. Uh, we're not sure, you know, it, it looks like it's setting up a lot or it's uh, uh, forcing teams to do to adjust in a way that then you can take advantage of that uh, uh, that adjust or, or that motion. Uh, I wish I think there does need to be some restructuring in, in the way that USC thinks about the offense and, and puts it all together and the scheming. And, and I, I don't think it would be a bad thing to kind of take it apart and start over and, and go with the things that that really work and that are you know integral to what you're trying to do. And take away and get rid of the things that that are just kind of you know extra stuff that doesn't mean mean very much. As far as uh, I know, you talked about pass uh, protection struggles, and um, you know why not get somebody out of there if they uh, if they're not doing the job? And, and and I think it points out an issue that that you do wonder. Is the next guy ready to go? I mean, they really talk about a lot the next man up. But, you know, especially, say, along the offensive line, is there, you know, a next man up that they feel like is ready to go? Uh, that's a, that's something I think they really need to work on, so that you do have that option if somebody's just having one of those days. Uh, and that, that happened to a couple of somebodies at the Cotton Bowl. And then uh, – I thought the, the point you made about uh, they didn't recognize, um, say, if Ohio State brought a safety up or whatever, and the idea that, you know, somebody immediately on USC, some uh, receiver becomes a hot route and, you know, look for the ball right away, find that, you know, that area that's been vacated. And as you said, they didn't, they seem to run their routes without that recognition. And just, it was a day that, Nobody seemed to recognize what they were trying to do, what they needed to do, what Sam, you know, was going to have to do, uh, all of that. It just was, you know, they were just out of sync. And an awful lot of that is that's what Ohio State defense, uh, you know, and, and basically Ohio State is kind of an unbalanced defense. I mean, you know, unbelievable depth and athleticism along the front and linebackers who they can put inside uh, put down, put you know their hand down, get four really big linebackers, but they're not necessarily guys who cover all that well, even even in their secondary. And one would have wished that USC could have figured out some protections that would have worked 
and some routes that uh, I mean, you know, they they threw the ball a lot and, and completed it a lot and moved the ball a lot. Got into the red zone three times, made a lot of big plays, but didn't make any plays that mattered. Uh, so uh, you know, there it was just as you say, you picked out a couple of the things that they didn't get done. Uh, they just were, you know, one after another of, of this or that or the other thing where somebody just didn't get something done and uh, they just did not look well prepared. It, like you were ready. If they do this, we're doing that. Uh, and, 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 and with a confidence level that you're going to be able to do it. Obviously the way they started makes it tough to be confident, uh, which is why you've got to avoid this kind of starts against the likes of Notre Dame on the road and Ohio State in a bowl game. You just can't do that. USC did it, and, and they were, you know, trying to dig their way out of a hole, the, you know, the whole rest of the game. We got, uh, well, thanks, Montgomery, for those questions. Uh, good voicemails. We got Judy and Claremont. She said, enjoy the podcast very much. I want to say I'm very proud and happy for the defense. They played very well in spite of the rest of the team's efforts. Listening to the emergency podcast that was a podcast i did in the airport slash hotel uh, i totally agree there needs to be changes made on the coaching staff my question is do you think clay helton will make the hard decisions also if he doesn't will lynn swan get involved i hope so special teams is horrendous and the offense was just as bad the fact that they aren't having worthwhile practices shows we haven't been prepared for most of our games this year i appreciate that helton is a nice guy but we need to develop the not-so-nice attitude. USC is in the big leagues and needs to adapt slash change to get with the program. Are you, uh, As you have been saying, there needs to be some huge changes in the coaching staff. Where's the Marv Goose and Ed Orgerons that used to motivate the players? The team is very unanimated. In spite of the OSU loss, I still love the Trojans. Just wish we were on the winning side of that game. game. Fight on, Judy and Claremont. Yeah, uh... Judy, I think body language was an issue, uh, and the urgency was an issue, and especially as the clock wound down at the end, there just didn't seem to be that, um, you know, that feeling of let's get it going, we got a shot here, uh, we can make this work, uh, all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, you got the sense that they tried the field goal because they just didn't think anything else was working. And, you know, you communicate that to your players, I think. Uh, I mean, and still... USC outgains Ohio State 403 yards to 277. And with a sense of you, you got a lot of stuff wrong. Think what, what kind of game they could have had if they really, uh, you know, put it together. I mean, it's uh, pretty amazing uh, what they did accomplish. Pretty amazing that they did all that and didn't, didn't score more than one touchdown. I mean, it's just uh, that's hard to do. It's hard to, you know, they basically beat Ohio State in every offensive category, unfortunately, including turnovers. Uh, but uh, uh, to, not, to not get more than, you know, than one touchdown, uh, very, very disappointing. I think one of the things that, and I know people say, oh, you know, whenever you talk about, uh, say, what happened with, with the Pete Carroll era, what happened with Pete was they were convinced that no one worked harder, that no one competed more in practice, when they got the games, and I don't even know that that was absolutely true, but they believed it. And when they got the games, and when they got the crunch time, they just pretty much believed they were going to do the right thing. And you do wonder if what you saw 
uh, at the Cotton Bowl was a team that kind of didn't believe it was going to be able to do the right thing. And is that stuff you build up in practice? Is that the kind of thing where you say, uh, you know, you don't tell them, oh, man, you got to go 12 straight weeks without a bye. We're going to try to protect you. We're going to, you know, we won't have to practice in pads. And and then you realize, you know, Ohio State's practicing in pads two times more in the week in Dallas than USC had in the previous eight weeks. That's probably not the kind of thing that builds up the kind of confidence you want in USC. And it's probably the kind of thing that builds up the confidence that Ohio State wants. And I think they've got to really rethink how they do what they do. That doesn't mean you got to scrimmage. It doesn't mean you got to go out there and tackle people and take them to the ground. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that you have the ability. If the offensive line needs work, they have the ability to do that. And if you're a, a second team guy on the offensive line, you have a chance to maybe beat out that first team guy. If you're out there in shorts, you really don't. If you're out there in shorts, you're running through the motions. You know, you're doing the, you're running the plays. You're, you're trying to get your footwork down and all of that kind of thing. But, but you're really not playing football. And you don't have to do it very long. Peace practices, for example. And this is the early part of when Pete was taking them to number one and, and, and had the streak going and had most of the original coaches there. Um, they weren't practicing long and they weren't practicing, uh, you know, in ways in which they were getting people hurt, but they were, they had the ability for short periods to go really intensely and very much replicate game speed and game tempo and game pressure. And I think that's one of the things, one of the adjustments that under Lane and Sark and now Clay that, that, that causes this team trouble because they're not quite ready for that first just burst of energy and, and, and violence and all of that that happens in a lot of games. Uh, and give the, you know, the defense credit. Uh, they adjusted extremely well. And I think, you know, with defense, I think some of that is more attitude and athletic ability and movement. Uh, you don't always have to practice tackling people. But I think the offensive part of it, I think you have to be able to handle the physicality and the athleticism of the defenses you're fa- you're facing. So I, th- I think it's more crucial for the offense, and I think that's the missing. That seems to be the missing element this year, and I think it's the kind of thing that speeds up Sam, causes Sam to try to make plays where he probably shouldn't, and um, and the turnovers come. And uh, you know, again, you know, you, you, I think there is a relay. I, I don't know how you can say there's no relationship to how you practice. And how you play in games. I mean, that's just, that's obvious that's not the case. But, uh, but USC has kind of gotten into this, and I think it started when they had the scholarship, uh, you know, uh, issues, uh, the sanctions, and didn't have enough players. And you would almost, you know, underlaying, you had to be very careful in practice. You just, that was all the best you could do. Uh, but that doesn't exist anymore. You know, I think they need. I, need, I think there's a rethinking needed uh, there. Yeah, I agree with you there, Judy. Thanks for that. Uh, hopefully, hear from you again. Stephen Poway wrote in and said, in the Cotton Bowl Friday night, Sam Darnold was sacked eight times. The rushing game was abysmal, 57 yards on 36 attempts, and USC committed four turnovers. The offense was unable to sustain 
any drive. So I was not surprised at all that the Trojans were slow walking their way through the end of the third and fourth quarters on offense. Actually, I think it made good sense under the circumstances. What did we want to do? Work quickly and hand over the ball to OSU sooner? It was clear by then that his offense was completely out of their league. But my question is this. How much of USC's poor offensive performance do you think was due to poor play calling, scheming, and lack of in-game adjustment uh, without Tyson Hilton on the staff? Uh, we now know which coach is responsible if things didn't work out. And he puts a little smile there. Thank you, uh, Stephen Poway. Happy New Year to you all. And uh, thanks for all your hard work in 2017. Yeah, I, I think there is something to the in-game adjustment and all that, but I think a lot more is just the, the general game plan. And you've got four weeks. Now, you may not practice all those four weeks, but the coaches have four weeks to look at Ohio State. And you have to come out with some things that knowing how good uh, uh, Joey, uh, you know, uh, the Bosa kid is, uh, knowing how many of them they've got who can get to you these you know, they, one after another, these 6'5", 270-pound guys that can play down on the line or can play linebacker. And just one after another. Uh, you know, I thought USC practice tempo. I thought that would have been a good thing to be able to do, to put Ohio State on their heels a little bit, uh, to not let them substitute, to be able to – USC just didn't have quite the – whatever it took to, to go that way. Uh, I thought they were tentative and, and timid. Uh and you know, I'm I'm not a big fan of uh, of using Sam as a drop back quarterback uh, in the in the pocket. I mean, I don't think any of us have ever envisioned him as a pocket passer. Uh, I also would have liked to have seen USC uh, if you're going to run the uh, run pass option, uh, let Sam run it. Uh, it certainly didn't look like Ohio State had anybody uh, assigned uh, to Sam. That would have been interesting, you know, run it until they, until they adjust, but, uh, didn't see that. We didn't see a whole lot. And yet still, you know, they put Ohio state back on their heels and yet still USC gained 403 yards. Still USC got into the red zone three times. I mean, you know, I mean, they did, they, they did enough to kind of have a chance. And then it looked like they didn't have any idea how to take advantage of whatever they did. Did they get, did they get screwed? Obviously the two missed pass interference calls, uh, the one pass interference they called on USC. That was a good play. I mean, they got, they got all three of those wrong. Um, uh, probably Deontay's wasn't, you know, was a catch and not a fumble, but you know, it's USC. <laughs> you got to get ready for that stuff. I think that's just going to happen. I mean, but when, when your defense, comes in and plays the way that defense did for USC, uh, man, you just can't not take advantage of that. I mean, that was a magnificent effort by the USC defense, and they deserve far better. I mean, what would we be talking about if USC would have won, you know, scored two touchdowns and won 14-10 to 10 and not given Ohio State 14 points? Everybody would have been saying that's one of the great defensive games of all time. I mean, it's just a shame there was an opportunity there because of the way the USC defense stepped up and that the offense couldn't take any advantage of that is, is really a shame. And some of that special teams, I mean, not getting, not being able to flip the field with your punter, not being able to, you know, 
have two straight one-yard returns. Uh, just uh, USC's got to do better in all of those areas against a team with, like Ohio State that has such a uh, unbelievably strong uh, defensive front. You've got to take advantage, of, you know, wherever it comes, and it was there for the taking. USC just couldn't take it. Yeah, they could not. Um, we had a couple of questions, Dan, about kind of uh, – Switching coaching staffs. I'll read you one, and then I'll play you a voicemail. Casey wrote in, since we got out-coached this game, if the team had Pete Carroll coaching during his USC run, how do you think they would have done in this game, and do you think this team would have enough to win a national championships? Thank, uh, championship? Thanks from Casey. And then let me play this voicemail for you uh, from JD and DC about if USC and Ohio State traded staffs, and you can kind of comment on all of that. All right, here you go. J.D. from D.C. with a question this week for Dan. Dan, just curious how you feel about the following. And they speak to, in order, uh, programmatic preparation over a season-long game, uh, preparation and scheming for a particular game, and third, you know, something more tactical and acute, play calling and adjustments at halftime. And here they are. What do you think the outcome of the Cotton Bowl is if USC and Ohio State trade staffs four weeks before the game. What do you think the outcome is if they trade staffs two days before the game? And what do you think the outcome is if they trade staffs at halftime? And finally, what do you think the outcome is along any timeline if they get to keep Clancy Pendergast on the sidelines but can trade any or all of the rest of their coaching staffs? Just asking. J.D. gives you uh, three scenarios. If USC and OSU traded staffs four weeks ago, who would have won? If USC and OSU traded staffs two days ago, who would have won? And finally, if they would have traded staffs at halftime, who would have won? <laughs> I, I think halftime might be a little late. I mean, it would be nice if you were, uh, you know, knew exactly what the other team was doing when you traded staff. I think that might have been might have been a tail. And let's face it. Yeah, Ohio State didn't do any better on offense than USC did. I mean, they had JT Barrett uh, made some strategically smart runs. Other than that, I mean, they shut down those tailbacks. They got a couple of, you know, wide receivers that, that can run the ball. And uh, it took advantage of that. But uh, other than that, I don't, uh, I don't think US, Ohio State's offensive unit would not have been an upgrade. Uh, their offensive coaches, I don't think uh, – would have necessarily been an upgrade over USC's offense. That was not, I mean, if you want to, you know, the 403 yards of USC's offense versus Ohio State's 277. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the problem with the game was Ohio State has the one unit that's just, I, mean, I honestly have not ever seen uh, a team with that many big, strong, quick athletes up front. Ever, I don't, I don't ever remember that. Just watching them, watching them warm up in the in the end zone where we were, it just took your breath away. I mean, it was more spectacular than that uh, uh, group photo with the uh, song girls and the and the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, and it was right next to it. And you couldn't take your eyes off of the way they warmed up. They are so athletic, and they they demand so much of those guys in, in terms of the explosive starts and the the quick, um, you know, like championship boxer hand action 
and the body lean and uh, the, the stops and starts and it was uh, they're they're magnificent uh, in the way they and and Urban says he's got the best you know, D line coach in the country and uh, uh, it's it's pretty obvious that that's the case. So I'm not sure switching the staffs with the the difference in in, in the in the players they'd have to work with. I think Ohio State staff really works well with the Ohio State players. Uh, and do, they do the best they can. I don't, I, I, you know, I was again, not, I know they, they average, they were 500 yards and 30, whatever it was, 40 points a game. That just tells me they played a lot of really bad teams because <laughs> that was not a great offense. Uh, and I don't know, you know, will they be better without Barrett uh, next year? They've got some outstanding young quarterbacks. I don't know, but, but that was not a, an impressive offense. Uh, but you gotta you gotta give it you know Urban Meyer he's won he won national you know or he's really done extremely well at, you know at Utah at Florida at Ohio State uh, you know he's he's not afraid to do things he's not afraid to shake up his staff and bring people in and out and not afraid to have uh, you know former head coaches as his coordinators that kind of thing uh, I don't think you know he he's gonna do whatever he can to win uh, and. Um, would he have been able over four weeks' time? I don't know. I, he might have scared USC's team to get you know to death if he came in four weeks ago and said, "Hey, okay, boys, this is what we're going to do in our practice schedule." I don't know how that would have gone over with the USC guys. They they have not been accustomed to maybe practicing the way uh, Ohio State practice practices. Would that? work on a on the short notice i don't know it's, it's an interesting hypothetical uh but like they tell you most of the time don't answer hypotheticals uh who knows what what the what the real answer is but uh but if you could have if i'm sure the ohio state coaches would say well if we're going to switch can we bring our defensive line with us yeah that would help uh, <laughs> is, is be kind of the thing if our ohio state would want and what about like casey if, if this was a pete carroll coach team do you think they could? Uh... Oh, yeah. If this were a Pete Carroll coach team, see, I think we, we look at the Pete Carroll era kind of in two different ways. I think there was the original come, you know, coming together and building and the, and the streak and when, when they had kind of the nucleus of everybody. And then people started leaving. And uh, then the second wave of USC wasn't, under Pete wasn't the same as that first wave. So, um, and, and they, while they tried to do things the same, they weren't able to quite do them, uh, do them the same as we saw. So, um, uh, I think, you know, if you caught that first Pete Carroll wave, uh, this team would probably be more confident. Uh, I think their practices would be uh, a little bit more, uh, you know, game, more game uh, close to game conditions uh and i think pete would be able to sell them on how well prepared they were i think one of the the negatives a little bit with this team was they, they weren't convinced that they were uh better prepared than everybody they played or tougher than everybody they played they know nobody ever talks about them as being physical I mean, and at times people underrated USC under Pete, like the Oklahoma people in that Orange Bowl. 
who just thought USC wasn't going to be able to hang with them at all. And you just knew they had no clue that they were going to get, you know, they were going to get uh, clocked by USC. But, uh, but this team knows that they have, they do not have a reputation of being a physical uh, football team and, and being a, a tough minded football team. That just, you know, that's just not who they've been. Uh, and I think that would be better uh, under Pete. I think they'd more have a sense of, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that there's a toughness there that was there for much of Pete's time here. Uh, you know, they kind of tailed away at the end, but, uh, but that was kind of a hallmark of it, that, that confidence in their own uh, competitiveness and their toughness. We got one from Eric in Duck Country. He said, what timeline would you put on potential assistant coaching changes? And then Clayton seems rather unsure of himself at times. Do you think he would be intimidated by and therefore reluctant to hire an assistant coach that has worked under someone like Saban or Meyer? Thanks again, Eric in Duck Country. I don't know. I, I could see uh, a little hesitancy in, let's say, bringing in somebody who could be the next head coach. Uh, that might be something that you you might think about not doing if you were if you were Clay. Uh, I think I think the more confidence that you show and the more ability to do that, I think that's a, that's a plus. But uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see if if that would happen. Uh, I'd feel good, you know, about Clay and about the way he feels about him himself, you know, being in charge of this program. But, uh, but I think you need to bring in those kind of people who are going to challenge you, who are going to say, you know, this is what I need to do in practice today. And this is how I need to do it. And, uh, I think they do need some outside, uh, blood and some new thinking. I, I don't think there's, there's any question, uh, that they need to figure some things out and they didn't get them figured out at all this year. And I don't think they were any better, uh, from say uh, the middle of August to where they are now. I mean, and, and yet they got players healthy. They got players back. I mean, they figured out. Uh, oh wait, Tyler Vaughn's is really good. Maybe we ought to have him on the field. He can make some great plays. Uh, they got Michael Pittman healthy. Uh, so you know they they figured out some things, but um, uh, they just didn't get it all together, and, uh, and they didn't seem to, to, to get better week to week to week. And that's uh, – they got to figure that out. You gotta, I mean, that was the other thing. With Pete, I will say this. Uh, the hard thing about playing Pete in a bowl game was his team was always significantly better in those bowl games than they were the last game of the season. So when you got ready for a USC team under Pete, if you got ready for that team that you saw in the last game of the season, they were going to be better by the time they got to the bowl. And that was, that really takes some doing to get better, uh, three or four weeks of not playing. And they had a knack of, of doing that, that, uh, I thought was, the Pete did, had a knack of doing that that was, was really special. And that hasn't happened, uh, didn't happen for Ohio State, didn't happen for Wisconsin in the Holiday Bowl. It hasn't happened. I mean, obviously, the Sun Bowl is one of the worst, you know, exhibitions of USC football ever. <laughs> yep. And uh, so this latest era has not, and, and obviously, they had two unbelievable uh, offensive quarters uh, in, the, in the Rose Bowl last year. But uh, 
But otherwise, and then I thought the Las Vegas Bowl when they played Fresno, I thought, uh, uh, you know, with a veteran team without a lot of players, uh, Clay got them to that uh, that game really well. Now, they were way better athletes than everybody but three or four guys on Fresno. But uh, but they got there uh, as well as they could get there and played played really well. But uh, they haven't done, done all that well getting them to a bowl game and getting them better than they were at the end of the year. I agree with you there, and I don't think there's any timeline for changes, so um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I don't, yeah, there's no, we'll see. There's, I think there's a struggle inside right now. We'll we'll find out more hopefully soon. Um, John in Oakland wrote in. This is a little long. He said, "Thanks for all the post Cotton Bowl podcast. Definitely helps getting USC fans off the proverbial ledge. Lots of calls, emails, and talk about Coach Helton, T. Martin, uh, Callaway, Bradford, etc. But the one key person." that I haven't really heard mentioned is Len Swan. I've never been a proponent of USC's approach to hiring well-known celebrity ex-player ADs with fundraising appeal, but who are not sports business professionals or skilled in the business of running collegiate athletics. We make a big deal about USC head coaching positions not being, quote, on-the-job learning spots, uh, but do not apply the same logic to the athletic director position. So my question for you and to Dan is, do you think uh, Athletic Director Swan has the knowledge and ability to transform USC's athletic department into an innovative, world-class, SEC-level organization? I feel that USC's athletic department is run like a mom-and-pop corner store in the age of Amazon. Is he willing to open up the checkbook for hiring top-proven assistant football coaches, uh, greatly expanding the football program staff by adding off-field consultants and advisors, and creating a football recruiting staff to rival those of SEC schools. He says Georgia has nine full-time staff just for football recruiting. And is he capable of leading an effort to reform the Pac-12 office and networks who should be working for the schools, not the other way around as it seems today? Does Lin Swan even know what the inside of a top uh, elite-tier athletic department looks like in 2018? Fight on, John in Oakland. Actually, John, uh, the nine uh, full-time employees that you talk about in the uh, uh, Georgia Athletic Department uh, for recruiting, those are the nine new ones <laughs> at an additional half a million dollars. So that's, I think, their total recruiting staff, uh, counting you know students and all kinds of part-time and whatever. They have 60 people working on recruiting at Georgia. Uh, and they're the only SEC team in the state, for God's sake, in a state where they play a lot of good football. So, uh, uh, you know, where they can recruit, uh, you know, you're not flying across the country, uh, much of the time to do your recruiting. But, uh, uh, one of the kids, I read this, uh, one of the, one of their recruits, I guess they, they went to number one this year already, uh, he had to have his, Georgia had sent him so much stuff. It, it weighed more than he, he and his dad had to, it was in a big box that, that weighed so much that he and his dad, he had to have help from his dad to move, move the box of all the stuff that, that Georgia had sent him. So, uh, there are people doing an awful lot. I think, I don't, I don't think Lynn is the person to start with. I think Clay has to make the case. I don't think it's going to do a lot of good, even if the head coach, or even if the athletic director says, here's what you need, I'm giving you this and this and this and this and this. I think the coach, 
I mean, at Georgia, Kirby Smart went in there, and he made the case. He said, if we're going to beat with Alabama, if we're going to compete with Alabama, we have to do what Alabama does. And he had been at Alabama long enough that he knew exactly what they do. And, Al- and Georgia said, sure, we'll go along with you. We trust you. You've made the case. And it's paid off in two short years. Uh, I think that's the case that, that, Lynn ha- uh, that uh, Clay has to make to Lynn. And I need these guys. This, I mean, what good is it to give a coach an assistant or two or three who he's not asking for? Is he going to use them right? Uh, if he doesn't want them, uh, he has to make that case. He has to make the tough decision of uh, this is where we want to go, and I'm not sure maybe that we can get there with, with this guy or that guy or whatever. And so you know, I think that has to start with, with Clay. Because I just don't see Lynn. And again, I don't think we have any idea what Lynn is thinking, how he's looking at it, where he's coming from, what his you know experience in college athletics, uh, as slim as it is, tells him about you know, or, or how much is he informed by um, you know by uh, his NFL experience, by his uh, uh, broadcasting experience, by his uh, you know political experience, by his uh, you know, uh, experience on uh, major national boards and of directors of, of major organizations. I don't know. I don't think we know. He doesn't. He doesn't make that case uh, very public at all. So, uh, but I guess I don't see it. And other than saying to Clay, "We're going to work with you for whatever you want. You tell us what you need." And can can Clay make that case? Is he is he ready to make that case? You know, does does Clay have the uh, you know the ability? As wonderful, a, a lovely a person as you could ever ask for, as decent a guy you know uh, as ever run a college football program, does he have that uh, ability, that edge, that competitive spirit to say we have to do this? And, where the competition is more is the most important thing is the competition, the ability to you know to to be that team that's going to challenge for a national championship, uh, is that is that the the motivation Clay needs? Uh, it's hard to be uh, you know the really 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 nice guy and, and be that guy. I mean it just doesn't exist. I know people in L.A. You talk about John Wooden, who in his later days was a lovely, lovely man, but he was the toughest competitor and he did whatever, you know, had to be done or he let people do it and he got the job done and, uh, didn't matter, you know, how he, uh, how he did it. He wanted to win maybe more than anything. And is that what you have to have? That competitive, you know, desire has to be really, really strong to put together, a program that's going to challenge for uh, national championships in college football. I mean, you know, uh, Urban Meyer and Nick Saban are not, you know, they're not, you know, Boy Scout masters. They're no. uh, <laughs> they're tough guys. They're 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 pretty cutthroat guys. And I don't know how you do it any other way. There's so many things you got to get right, and you can't let things float. And you know, you can't say, oh, that's good enough, or I like this guy. It's a, it's a results-oriented business uh, with, with what they're getting paid. And that even includes Clay, who's certainly at the 
way bottom end of the pay scale at the at the top programs, uh, you gotta you just gotta produce, and uh, you know you gotta get better, and uh, we'll see. We uh, we got one from George in Oxnard. This is a text message you sent in. He said, Dan, Ryan mentioned something about Ohio State getting to Sam Darnold eight times while he was only sacked six times all of last season. That is a crazy stat. During the offseason, I remember you saying that this group of offensive line would be much more nimble than last year's without the bulk of the linemen like Banner and Mama, and it would give USC more flexibility and other advantages. That actually made a lot of sense to me. Now that the results are in, what went so horribly wrong this year? Certain injured players play a role, but there has to be more to it than just that. Did we undervalue slash underappreciate the big guys, and where does USC go uh, from here. Thanks, guys, and fight on, George and Oxnard. You know, I think there's a possibility that just because of their, you know, mammoth size, they forced people to, uh, although they didn't force Alabama to, uh, you know, run around them or, or, you know, take long routes. I mean, uh, it looked, uh, to be honest, it looked to me like Sam Darnold had much more explosiveness last year in avoiding the pass rush and getting out of the pocket and throwing on the run. I mean, I don't know that did we see that at almost at all against Ohio state. And we haven't seen that a lot this year. I mean, I have a theory that, you know, that Sam got, got, you know, banged up a little bit to the point where he didn't quite have that, that same ability. I mean, the first guy never got Sam last year, never, ever. And then basically USC was playing 11 on 10 because he, you know, avoid him and turn it upfield. You didn't see that as much this year. Um, uh, was that uh, the fact that you didn't have uh, Juju Smith-Schuster uh, to throw to, the fact that you didn't have uh, uh, Darius Rogers, you had two, and then the two junior college kids that, uh, you know, uh, uh, you had four, basically four veterans. And uh, and Daniel Mater baby was healthy, and this year you basically go into the year without that, and it didn't look like Sam ever got to the point where there was that kind of uh, confidence uh, with everybody, uh, you know, in his, in his receiving core. Uh, but but yeah, uh, was it the fact that you know maybe Zach Banner wasn't uh, the most nimble? Uh, offensive linemen, but just standing there gave them farther, farther to run. I don't think it would have mattered much against Ohio State. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know that. For example, USC had 10 more sacks this year than Ohio State. USC had 43 sacks this year. Ohio State had 33. Ohio State didn't have a game this year against some really bad opponents where they had more than six sacks. So what fell apart for USC? I think it's really hard to figure out that number. I mean, how do you have – I mean, they look at Ohio State's schedule. I, mean, I think they played five offenses that were below uh, number 100. I mean, they played some really bad offenses and never did did do that to any of them. Uh, so – I don't. I don't have a good answer. I just know it didn't go together well. And I know last year in the Rose Bowl, 
uh, Penn State with some pretty good athletes. I mean, not comparable to Ohio State, but let's face it, Penn State beat Ohio State last year with these same guys and uh, probably should have beaten them this year. And yet uh, Penn State couldn't, no matter what they did, they couldn't get to Sam. Sam's different. Sam isn't the same player as last year. They don't, nobody, you know, will explain exactly what's different. But, uh, but he's not the same player. Don't know why. Uh, but I think a lot of that is, is just on whatever is different with Sam and the offense and seeing the game and the receivers and all of that together. I mean, uh, we just, you know, Sam's dropping snaps or snaps are, are going by when he's not ready or Sam, uh, doesn't see the, uh, defensive back uh, step on, you know, go from the outside coverage to inside coverage and without looking back throws a pick six because he thought he was still going to be on the outside. How is that happening? I don't know. That None of that happened last year. Um, so I don't have a good, I do not have a good explanation. Um, we got one last voicemail. This one is from uh, Sir Eric of Troy about uh, Tyson Helton. So let me play it for you. Hey, Ryan, this is Sir Eric of Troy. I have a question and a comment. Um, I am wondering, my question first is either for you or, or Coach Hyde or Dan Weber, anybody who wants to answer it, actually. I'm wondering if tonight in this Ohio State loss that we noticed that maybe perhaps Tyson Helton um, had a little bit more to do with the play calling than we thought. And the reason I say that is because I personally didn't think T. Martin called a very good game at all. This is the first game he was in the booth by himself, uh, you know, without Tyson Helton. And I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not, but it just sure seemed to me that his play calling was very predictable, very unimaginative, um, and and just very, very rudimentary, um, you know, without Tyson up there. So maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe it didn't. My, uh, I was wondering what you thought. And then my statement is the Pac-12 referees just absolutely embarrassed us again uh, in that, uh, I think it was in the Music City Bowl. Uh, the announcers were laughing at them and saying that this was just absolutely ridiculous. So it's not just us. It's not just us that's tired of them. I mean, uh, when they called uh, a game for another conference, they felt the exact same way we did. Somebody's got to do something about that. So um, anyway, fight on, Sir Eric of Troy. Okay, uh, as far as Tyson Helton's concerned, I really don't think that that was that big a, a factor. I, I think, um, you know, I know people are making, the, you know, the, the WKU connections and all that, and Brian Ellis and Callaway and Tyson. And uh, I don't know that having a, Brian, a Western Kentucky connection is all that terrible. I know Jeff Brom, uh, who went to Purdue last year from Western, is one of the great offensive uh, minds in college football. So not the worst place to to be coming from. I don't know that a uh, kind of a three-headed, uh, and I'm not a, one big, you know, for the fact that, oh, the graduate student was calling the play, the passing plays or the plays. No, that, that was not happening. But they obviously were getting, you know, giving, and, and this is what T wanted, uh, uh, suggestions. Let's face it, the uh, quarterback coach is in the room watching film with Sam. Quarterback coach works with Sam every day on the field. Uh, T is with the wide receivers. So you would want that guy to have, in, you know, input. And, you know, Brian Ellis was a pretty good college quarterback at UAB. 
So I think, you know, uh, I don't know that that made a big difference, uh, that you had another guy uh, instead of Tyson suggesting the passing plays. And I don't know that that is happening so much during the game. I think it's happening more, uh, you know, before the game in the game plan. And then, uh, you know, maybe, a well, this is the one of the ones we've talked about. This is the one I think we ought to go with. Uh, I just don't like the way it works. I think, you know, it, it, it makes it hard to have the rhythm uh, in your offense. Uh, and there were, were some issues as far as getting the plays in. And, uh, you know, the idea that you needed to see who Ohio State had on the field before you could call a play or, you know, it really slowed things down. So, so I'm not a big one to think that, you know, the not having Tyson there made made a big difference. As far as the Pac-12 officials, uh, yeah, that they ejected that kid from Kentucky who absolutely shouldn't have been ejected, you know, the biggest screw-up in the whole bowl season uh, in terms of officiating would be the Pac-12. Does that not surprise any of us? Of course not. I mean, it's just, you know, they're, they're going to get uh, – they're going to get exposed. They're just not good enough, and uh, and we see it every every game almost. So uh, it's just what you would what you would expect, and uh, everybody can just sit here and go. And now I think the rest of the country knows as well. And you're going to get Pac-12 officials in the playoffs just because they don't have a team. You know, Pac-12 didn't have a team in the playoffs, so you're going to. You know, of the three playoff games, you're guaranteed one of them's going to have a Pac-12 crew, which uh, which they did last night. But uh, and they, you know, they did okay. They didn't, didn't embarrass themselves too much. But uh, um, yeah, it's uh, it's too bad. Um, all right, so we have we still have a whole bunch of questions left. So maybe we'll just give kind of shortish answers. I want to get everyone's kind of comments on here on the podcast, but we'll just give kind of. Uh, some quicker okay. answers to some of these. And uh, by the way, Lance Clark, uh, he did the uh, uh, the game last night. So today's today's Tuesday, right? Yeah. So Monday, he Lance Clark from the Pac-12 did the uh, the Sugar Bowl, and he in the during right. the coin toss didn't even give all state didn't pronounce all state's name correctly. So there's a video going around where the the, the representative of all state during the coin toss is looking at him like, what the heck did you just say? Like he didn't even say the name of the sponsor, right? So thought that was pretty funny. Uh, coin tosses are tough. Uh, that poor woman from uh, the uh, Ewing car dealerships, and I don't know if that was uh, from Dallas, the uh, TV show, the Ewings. Yes. But, uh, oh, my gosh. At least if you're going to make her, and it's a it's really big, thick, heavy coin, if you're going to make her flip that coin, you better practice her a few times before you get her out there. But, uh, but in a way, whoever – they showed her the two sides. They said, on this side is USC – that they went to the other side, and on this side is Ohio State. Well, whoever they showed her second, they were going to win the coin toss because she just dropped it. I mean, yeah. She didn't flip it. She dropped it. So if your your side was up, like Ohio State was, you're going to, yeah. So not a uh, not a great, uh, you know, weekend in the annals of, uh, of, of officiating, uh, even the coin tosses. Well, let's see. Okay, so we'll start going through these quickly. Okay. Tarek has a quick one. What can Sam do in the offseason to not have as many fumbles, uh, fumbles and turnovers? I do think keeping two hands on the ball. That's what he said. That's I, we, we talked to him about it in the locker room. And I do think he got to load up uh, with two hands, more like a, you know, a baseball catcher, 
uh, and keep that second hand on the ball longer. Uh, it gives you a chance to throw the ball when they're closing in on you. Uh, but if you're if you're dropping the ball, holding, dropping the ball below your waist in one hand, it gives that guy coming around the uh, you know around a corner and and from the backside a chance to strip the ball loose. So uh, I'm thinking you probably need to more work on keeping it above your waist, keeping it you know at shoulder high level if possible, and keeping it loaded with both hands. Good points there. Uh, Steve says. We are still in the second quarter, so this was during the game. Down 17 nothing. I can't predict the future, but I have a pretty good idea what's going to happen. As an avid listener to the podcast and instant analysis videos, I'm reminded of the video where Coach Helton said, It was tradition at USC to not practice in full pads late in the season. I heard the same BS excuse uh, of we have 12, uh, one 12 games straight. I'm sorry. The, I'm sorry. I've heard this, the BS excuse of we have 12 games straight. Okay, so he's talking about the no bye week. Could Dan or someone please ask Coach Helton which tradition he's referring to, the Lane Kiffin or Steve Sarkeesian tradition of zero national titles or Heisman Trophy winners, or the hard-practicing, full-pads, full-speed national title and Heisman winners of Pete Carroll, John Robinson, and John McKay. As A.D. Lynn Swan needs to teach Coach Helton which the real USC tradition is, uh, as an alumni and former employee of the team, this is embarrassing. Even John Robinson 2.0 ran Oklahoma drills and practiced in full-pads late into the season, and for Cotton Bowl prep, SC's flat, slow, and played like a team that has been babied. A UCLA, well, he says, an F-U-C-L-A tradition, not a Trojan one. Steve, not no, too happy. No, no need to answer that. That, yeah. that, that answers itself, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, a pretty good job. Yeah, nice job there, Steve. Thomas says, are we seeing a Hellfresh slash Mariota situation with USC, Clay Helton, and Sam right now? Helfrich obviously got exposed after Mariota left, or do we recruit too much blue chip talent for a huge drop off to happen? I have this sinking feeling that things are going to fall off the cliff uh, for this program once Sam leaves. His creativity is basically the whole offense, Thomas. Well, you know, I mean, I think they got used to not having as much creativity the way this year went. Uh, so, Maybe there won't be as much of an adjustment, but they better be able to block the run. I mean, I think the thing that, that they've got to do is you've got to be able to block the run uh, in the big games, in the tough games uh, against good people, and they didn't, they weren't able to do that. And uh, that's the most important thing that, that they've got to do, even if they've got to go with, uh, say, Matt Fake or whatever in a much more uh, ground-oriented attack. You've got to be able to block it. And uh, they haven't shown the ability to do that, uh, when, you know, the whole – when they know you're going to run it, you still are able to run it. Well, they haven't shown that they can do that. They got to be able to do that no matter whether Sam comes back or not, uh, because you just run out of people you can beat by being creative. Like for example, Oklahoma, I mean, they couldn't do any more right for much of that game, uh, with Baker Mayfield at all. Finally, you run out of, you know, spectacular plays that you could keep making on offense. If your defense you know, can't keep you in the game and they block the run even. Uh, but you gotta, you gotta be more than just uh, creative and, and all that kind of stuff to, to win at the next level. And USC hasn't shown that yet. Jim in Oregon says proud of the way our defense played and they certainly didn't deserve the loss. It's now time for Sam Donald to move on and begin the JT Daniels era. Wow. Uh, he will have growing pains, 
but playing time will take care of that. If Sam comes back, he won't get the playing time and will probably just play two years, which doesn't help our future. Can't wait until next year and to see who our new assistant coaches will be, Jim and Oregon. JT Daniels has been really good here, but uh, I think you'd rather have Sam Darnold back at this point. Yeah, I think that, that works better. Um, uh, you still got to block for him. You still got, I mean, but you know, in the Pac-12, you're not playing that Ohio State team. We aren't going to see an Ohio State defense at Ohio State or anywhere else like that, like those guys. Um, so you're not going to, I mean, you know, Alabama. I don't know. Who knows what's going to what's going to happen with that group? Uh, but uh, uh, I think the ideal scenario would be to uh, for uh, uh, Sam to come back. And, and work on all the things that he needs to work on, and for USC to work on all the things that USC needs to work on to make uh, Sam's uh, skill set really work again, and then uh, for JT to have a year uh, and to compete with you know Matt Fink and and, and Jack Sears and, and 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 see how that works out. That that to me would probably be the ideal scenario. Uh, if USC had had an offensive line that is going to return and mass and, and, and really you could count on them. Uh, then I might think that a first year, uh, I, you know, out of high school quarterback might have a chance, but, but the fact that he, he won't be here for the spring, uh, and USC's really got to work on, on getting that, that line together. Uh, I, I don't see that as the ideal scenario. And I don't know that you want to, you know, oh, you're going to take your lungs, but you'll be better off for it. I'm not sure I agree with that. Uh, Casey wants to know, what was up with Jalen Green? He wasn't dressed out for the game. He had a couple of injuries, and we didn't know, nobody knew about it. He, he, had a, he did something to his shoulder, and um, gosh, he, he had one other thing. And, and it was like nobody mentioned that all week. We kept asking. And um, so, you know, we don't know how it happened, but he was, you know, sitting there out of street, you know, in street clothes, and uh, and he, he had two injuries, and one was a shoulder. I forget what he said the other one was, but uh, apparently he wasn't even close to being able to dress. Yeah, strange. Um, let's see. Tarek had a quick one. How can USC develop their off their defensive lineman like Ohio State with rotating more help? I don't know, man. They start with some pretty good stuff there, but. <laughs> I well, I think rotating is good when you have that many good linemen. I mean, honestly, I have not. And the USC's had a lot of really good defensive linemen. Never seen a group like that Ohio State group. Never. Never. They, their, their, their talent. You know, their skill set was just off the charts. I mean, they were. Uh, so those guys, you got to go find them. You know, you got to coach the heck out of them. I think I, I was really impressed with how they, how much they demand of them, and how. How they push one another—that was—that's uh, really special. But uh, but it would start. I mean, yeah, seemed pretty good. I mean, that that group—if they're all healthy—and not a bad group. Uh, I mean, there aren't a lot of people that you would, if you count the uh, outside linebackers as part of, uh, say, defensive ends. That's a pretty good group. USC doesn't have to take a back seat, uh, especially look at the way they played in the Cotton Bowl. They don't have to take a back seat to anybody. And you get, you know, the Marlin, Tui Pelotu, and, uh, and, and, and Brandon Peely gets enough, uh, you know, playing time and all that. I thought, uh, uh, let's see, Josh, uh, Fatu played really well. Uh, and, and Malik Thornton, 
uh, who will be coming back. I thought those guys really hung in there. I was, I was real proud of those guys. Yeah, I thought they played well. Uh, Tom and Torrance, another embarrassing performance by the offense. Darnold was horrible, and the offensive line was pathetic. Also, special teams were horrible. Uh, the play calling is bad as usual. Ohio State knew the plays, and we're ready for them. Need immediate change in the coaching staff, and if Clay can do it, if Clay can't do it, he should go too. His team's never ready for big games, and this was an embarrassment to the Trojan family. I enjoy the podcast. Keep up the good work, Tom and Torres. So kind of, kind of along the same lines of a lot of the other stuff we got. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think there it might be a little harshness there. I mean, they again, he did get 403 yards of offense against a really good defense. So, however they did it, um, it's just it didn't produce anything. They didn't score off of it. And, uh, and that's the problem. It's not all together. I mean, it's just, you know, they, let's face it, there's some talent there. You know, see, uh, but, uh, but I don't, I don't know that you could just go overboard and just totally, you know, just throw everything out, you know, in terms of the offense. Uh, it just, it just don't have it all together. We had a text question. Do you guys, uh, did you guys have fun watching this season? Felt like the whole season was wondering when we would see the USC team that beat Penn State. Only glimpses of that team came out this year. Also, SC showed a, how large the gap is between them and the elite teams of college football. It's an interesting point. I, it wasn't as much fun. Like, last year it kind of built into this, like, hey, this team was getting better. It just, it always seemed like you were trying to get to some level they never got to like the Stanford level that they played the second game of the season. You know what I mean, Dan? Yeah, no, they they just they played to down to whatever level of their competition, except failing to show up. And they had an excuse at Washington State, even though I don't totally buy it. They didn't have any excuse for not showing up at Notre Dame. Obviously, Notre Dame had a week to get ready for uh, an extra week, and uh, it meant the whole world to them after they lost by a point to Georgia. So, uh, uh, but, but there were some, you know, fails on the coaches to get them ready, but they just didn't finish games. They didn't, you know, they do enough, you know, either penalties or busted coverages or just things that, you know, were a game that should have gone one direction, ended up, you know, being down to the wire or, uh, uh, you know, you just didn't get the sense they were building. Whereas last year you got the sense they were building. Now they built to the Rose Bowl. And they had two of the best quarters you could ever have. And they had two of the worst quarters you could ever have. They got the last score and everybody walked away from that Rose Bowl. You know, we're, we're thrilled to death, uh, because of some spectacular, uh, individual plays and, and the fact that, you know, the coaches kept their cool and everybody acted like, Oh, we're going to win this game. Uh, you know, had they not had, had any one of those plays gone the other way, you know, and they, they would have, almost won the game we'd have had a whole different you know view of of that rose bowl yeah so uh you know things were good i mean how many things had to happen toward the end of that game uh for the rose bowl to go the way it did i mean so many things uh you give usc credit that they took advantage of them made them happen but uh but the rose bowl might have been uh something that that gave us a little bit of a false picture of where the program was. Uh, it was a nice place to start from and to build from, and then you get to this year, and it didn't seem ha- to have the ability to build from that spot. 
we just didn't see the kind of building that you were hoping for. Yeah, agree with you there. We had uh, Debbie in Orinda. She's a longtime listener, first-time texter. Question for Mr. Weber, very formal. Um, uh, is the Ohio State defense that good, or is our offense that bad? We just looked unprepared. The defense looked like looked okay in the first half and really good in the second. I'm hoping during the offseason both sides of the ball can develop the toughness and physicality that Ohio State had. Keep up the good work with the site. Thanks, Debbie. Yeah, Debbie, I, I think I mean, what's bad is that the USC defense or offense looked worse than it actually was, and that's because of the results. Uh, I mean, again, the 403 yards, and, and they had how many really great plays uh, that they made. The fact that you can't run the ball makes the offense look bad, and, and the fact that you can't score the ball makes the offense look bad. But they had, you know, they had the plays, uh, a number of plays, but the fact that you turned the ball over makes the offense look bad. So they kept shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, so it wasn't like, like Clemson. If you watched Clemson yesterday, that was a bad offense. They just couldn't do anything. You know, or, or, you, know you can flip that over and say, oh, no, that was the Alabama defense. But they, they basically did to Clemson what they did to USC a year ago. They didn't let them in the game. They just said, no, you can't play. And they constantly couldn't. They weren't. It's amazing. The team that the committee decided was number one, turns out they probably shouldn't have even been in the Final Four. I mean, uh, in Ohio State should have. Now, if you look at that, Ohio State should have been in there before Clemson. So the committee got that wrong. Uh, I mean, I think USC can play Clemson. Uh, but uh, USC just looked bad. Their body language wasn't good. Their uh, – had it, just their attitude about they just didn't seem to have a very confident uh, you know approach to things and, and and Ohio State defense will do that to you if you allow the front you know line to take over the game USC probably needed to be better obviously needed to be better prepared for the Ohio State front line and have some things that they could use to neutralize what Ohio State was going to do, because they basically told everybody what they were going to do. They were going to get to Sam. And to let them get to Sam eight times uh, and, you know, have the have the fumbles and all the other things, uh, you know, with the turnovers, turn the game around, uh, should not have happened. And so, you know, was it Ohio State's defense? Partly. Was it USC's offense? A good bit. And uh, it just it wasn't a good job getting ready for that Ohio State defense. There were things you could do to that Ohio State defense. USC didn't do them. Mike, I'm uh, sorry, Mike in the Bay Area and Tarek both wrote in. Well, Mike texted it and um, kind of same, some of the same stuff on offense. But they want to know what happened to the tempo. I thought they were practicing tempo. So both Mike and Tarek want to know about tempo, where that went. Yeah, that was my question for Sam. What What happened to tempo? And he said he didn't quite know. Other than he thought the coaches decided that they wanted to see what defenses Ohio State, what defense they were in, before they made a play call. Um, my my approach would be, we're going to do what we think we can do well, and what is going to put you back on your heels a little bit. And we're not going to worry about what you're going to do. We're not going to be a counter puncher. And that was the that was the whole Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkisian tradition was, so, uh, well, let's see what they're going to do, and then we'll come up with a genius uh, offense, a uh, scheme, uh, a play, 
uh, and show how smart we are, and uh, and we'll beat them that way. Instead of, this is who we are, this is what we do, this is how we're going to do it, let's see what you can do to stop us. But uh, it looks like they got a little timid and a little bit off-put by Ohio State's defense, and they just uh, they didn't go that route. And I, I'm, I'm really disappointed that they didn't. Uh, they talked about it, they practiced it, and they got to the game, and they couldn't do it, couldn't pull the trigger. Golden Trojan wrote in, too, kind of along the same lines. Uh, he wanted to know if you could talk about things. You can't talk about what you see in the game plan prior to the game, but could you anything specific you saw in practice leading up to the Cotton Bowl that never saw the light of day? And he said, outside of the we're going to run tempo, he said that turned into we're not even going to run tempo in the fourth quarter down three scores. Um, he says, thanks for all the great content. So anything you saw, Dan, maybe in the week or well, weeks? You know, uh, I thought they had a little more confidence in, in, in how they were going to run the ball inside. And it looked like they just got manhandled. I mean, Ohio State, one of the things that you were real impressed with was the athleticism and the ability to come off the edge with, like, Bosa, he's 270 pounds. He looks like he's about 230. I mean, he's a – he built like a fullback. I mean, no, not even a thick fullback. I mean, he's as athletic, a 270-pounder I think of I've ever seen. And you knew they were going to be able to come from the edge. I think USC thought they could take the ball back up inside, and they got nothing. I mean, they just got uh, – they got stoned. I think that would probably be the biggest, uh, you know, biggest issue. But then again, USC's had that problem all year. They seem to be uh, outnumbered at the point of attack, uh, and and you can't run the ball if they're going to get more people to the point of attack than you are. And uh, again, you know, that just uh, there were some scheming problems, and so you end up. Uh, Having to go and, and just scramble and, and, and pull out a play here and pull out a play there and hope this works or hope that works and you know, they just didn't have any uh, any flow to the offense and any anything that you know you know he'd have a, a decent run here or there you know Ronald would give you a big big effort but uh, it just wasn't wasn't a consistent one and uh, I, I just don't know how Ohio State is able to both shut the run down and get the big, big pass rush. You ought to, you shouldn't be able to do both of those without you being able to take advantage of one or the other. And USC was not. Trojan 619 said, well, this was no surprise to me after the coaches press conference together before the game, I saw a ton of intensity of urban Meyer and his voice was clear that Ohio state was going to be ready to play. I like Clay Helton, uh, but, I like Clay Helton, but him always giving our players time. Okay, but him always giving our players time off in light practices before big games like this is starting to get old, and I feel like that was the deciding factor of this game. Ohio State practiced to play a tough game, and USC just took it easy for the game. What do you guys think? Is it time for Helton to go back to the drawing board or for USC to look for a new coach? Thanks for all you do fight on uh, Trojan 619. I think we kind of discussed this. Yeah, I think already, you, you go back to the drawing board a little bit, and I think you, you give a guy a chance. For example, I think John McKay, uh, you kind of struggled through those first couple of years, and I think was really lucky to, you know, get through year th- get to year three and win, the, you know, wins the national championship. And uh, I think Pete obviously had a first career, and then took a year off, figured it, figured some things out, came back. Uh, 
So, you know, can a guy do that? Absolutely. Can you do it while you're on, you know, on the job here at USC? I think so. Uh, I think it needs to be done, though. I think, uh, you know, Clay needs to reassess something. I think Ohio State, you know, they got embarrassed to death last year in their playoff game, 31 to nothing lost to Clemson. They had to come out. They've got all these seniors on defense. They had to come out with intensity. Those guys are all wanting to go to the NFL. And uh, I think the setup was that, that they were going to, and they thought they had a good shot to do that to USC. And that's, uh, that's how, and Urban was on the, yeah, he was on the muscle. He really, you know, he really uh, believed in, uh, you know, they had to be ready. He couldn't. I don't think he could have afforded a second loss uh, following the the one last year. So, and USC was coming off the you know the high point of uh, of the Rose Bowl. So, you didn't have that same kind of uh, you know urgency. You got the feeling for USC that you did at Ohio State, and, and that was a difference. Eddie and Whittier, kind of a, a, a long rant about some of the other stuff that we've talked about, the offense and everything. But he ended it with, um, we compare ourselves to elite programs every year, but quite honestly, we're not on the, page, the same page uh, as them. Why does it seem like we're a step behind them? We can dominate most pack tw- uh, I mean, top 25 schools in the country, but definitely not the top five schools. P- please share your thoughts, Eddie and Whittier. Yeah, I think the top three right now, uh, it's tough. Uh, I think Alabama is in a place we haven't seen, even though they kind of took the year off and they had injuries. Uh, by now, they're they're back. Uh, Georgia has joined them, I think. Uh, uh, you know, that was a place that was underachieving, uh, you know, for years. And then uh, uh, I don't know if Clemson can sustain it or not. I mean, they're really trying. They work really hard. It's a small state and uh, a small town, and you know you kind of run out of players in that whole that Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama area. I don't know that you know you're you're ever going to have quite enough players. Oklahoma, I think uh, they're limited by playing in the Big Twelve, and, and I think if you play in a conference that doesn't play a lot of uh, a defense, uh, it's hard. That's where USC has to. <clears throat> figure out how to do how to get this done because they can show up uh, most weeks in the Pac-12 and uh, and they're going to be able to you know score points with with the athletes that USC has. Uh, I think th- the good news is you ought to be able to get from the Pac-12 to the playoffs regularly. If you don't screw up, if you don't have that you know uh, Washington State game, USC would have been in the playoffs. Alabama wouldn't have been in the playoffs. I mean, life isn't always fair, and it's obvious. Uh, now that they deserve to be, even though they didn't do that, show you that in the, in the regular season. But USC uh, right now, physically and uh, programmatically in terms of recruiting and staffing and all of those kind of coaching, they do not belong in the same you know class with with Alabama and Georgia. And uh, and we'll see. And you know, Ohio State ought to be in there, but that offense was so pedestrian. I don't know if if you play down to your level, say in the big 10, I mean, you know, nobody spends more money than Michigan and nobody plays offense worse than Michigan in the big 10. So, uh, so at least you got a couple of teams that have kind of separated themselves. And then, uh, then you've got the, the ones like Oklahoma and Ohio state, uh, who, and Clemson who are 
trying to get into that, you know, absolute elite group at this very moment. We're just talking about right at this moment. And USC ought to be in that next group. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, you can't have games like they had against Ohio State and say you belong there. Sir Eric of Troy wants to know, um, we already heard from him earlier, but he said, you know, that the Lynn Swan report card that he has with Clay Helton, right. will that be made public or at least the diehard <laughs> fans to pay good money to support the program? Can we see it? Well, I mean, I, I know he does do the, the monthly report. Uh, I would think you might get a <clears throat> more general version of that, uh, you know, and, and I don't ever think you're going to get anything like the, the real report. Uh, you know, you're not going to have, uh, any, anything close to what, uh, what Lynn says to, to Clay. I, mean, I think Lynn's a pretty tough taskmaster. I don't, I think some of those meetings have not gone very well, uh, for Clay this year. I don't think, Clay, I mean, you know, I mean, Lynn wasn't, all that happy with the Rose Bowl win last year. Right. So, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not sure he's an attaboy guy. You know, he, I'm, I'm sure, you know, he's a, you know, he's a, a Pittsburgh Steeler guy, you know, and I'm sure there's uh Chuck Noel wouldn't have done this. And, you know, we didn't, you know, me and Joe Green wouldn't have done that. And all, you know, so, so I, I would, I mean, I think it's kind of interesting. We're just going to, you know, wait and, Wait and see how this goes, but I I don't think you're going to see it uh, made public. I think you'll just see what happens as a result. Uh, but uh, but I think there's radio silence on uh, exactly uh, what they're talking about. For sure, um, Stephen Poway. It looked to me like Jack Jones did not play at all in the first half, and when he came in during the second half, he didn't seem to be showing ill effects of his ankle injury, including his sideline quote-unquote dance to the fight that broke out after the ugly Sam Darnold push. Do you know if he was held out of the first half on purpose, e.g. Uh, e. being punished for a team infraction that we were not aware of? Stephen Poway. I think, Steve, that's a, that's a, 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 a guess that, that I, would not, uh, I would not go with at all. I, I, I just thought from the little bit we saw him, he didn't look ready. Uh, and I, I watched him warm up in the first half on the sidelines and I still didn't think he quite looked ready. But uh I will say this, I thought he got more done when he was out there than I thought he would. Uh so so no, I don't I don't think you have to create create a scenario that uh I mean he, he almost didn't practice in pads at all. Well, I mean what am I saying? <laughs> they all didn't practice in pads. He almost didn't practice uh in gear uh most of the of the bowl uh, practice session. So he really wasn't, wasn't ready. Uh, uh, he was just getting there very gradually. So I think they went into that game not having a real sense of, of can he play or not. And I think, you know, he decided, uh, in the first half that he would try to really, uh, you know, convince him that his ankle was, uh, good enough to go. And it turned out it looked like it was. All right. Got a couple more. Man, we've gone through so many questions. This might be a record. Uh, Cade in Salt Lake City, he said, first of all, I'd like to thank, uh, I'd like to say that my wife brought me a subscription to uscfootball.com, uh, for Christmas, and it's been one of the best gifts I've gotten in a while. Well, thanks for that. That's cool. cool. Great job on the website and the content you and your team put out is generally, uh, greatly enjoyed throughout the Trojan family. Question for Dan and Ryan. Do you think USC's offense without Sam Darnold, when the time comes, 
will look like USC special teams without Adoree Jackson. <laughs> After watching this season, I have a lot of doubts uh, about some of the coaches on the staff and their ability to make a team look fundamentally and schematically sound. And yes, I realize, um, excuse me, he said, uh, yes, I realize that the offense with Sam Darnold against the Ohio State was at times atrocious, but I think Sam Darnold is the Adoree Jackson of this offense in the sense that he makes plays that shouldn't have been made, but somehow manages to work his magic and shine for the offense. Thanks for taking my question. Happy New Year to the USCfootball.com staff, Cade and SLC. Man, Cade, that is a very scary possibility that you, uh, you, I think we've tried to avoid that, uh, thinking <laughs> that thought, but if that's true, uh, man, the construction zone at the Coliseum won't be big enough for, uh, you know, for, for the problems that, uh, that need to be rebuilt next year. If that's the case, if, if Sam walking away takes away what Adori walking away, took away from the special teams, uh, man, all we can do is, Hope, hope, hope that's not the case. Um, you raise an interesting point, and I'm just going to gonna leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. That's a great yeah. point. It is a great point. Uh, okay, our last one is Jersey Jack. He said, well, I guess Larry Scott might be happy that the Pac-12 got their lunch handed to him this bowl season. Just means more parity in the NCAA. I hope you get my sarcasm. Keep up the good work, guys. Maybe the rest of the league presidents will wake up someday soon and hire a commissioner that knows how to really help instead of hinder the geese that lay the golden eggs. Just a quick question. How much money does men's tennis, men's water polo, and women's lacrosse generate for the league? Enough said. All my best, Jersey Jack. But they probably spend as much money trying to uh, telecast uh, some of those sports as they do, you know, football, uh, which is kind of the problem uh and uh i guess you know the other the other problem is uh utah i mean did they not get the message parody how did they go out and win a game i mean yeah uh, the pac-12 could have been 0 and 9 and completely equal across the board and here's utah goes out wins the bowl game and screws up everything because uh, as we know Ryan was is is a big proponent of that parody, right? Ryan, you, <laughs> you Ryan had me ask uh, Larry Scott about parody, <laughs> and Larry gave the right answer, the exactly right answer from Larry's point of view uh, uh, that he would take parody over having a team in the playoffs, and he got his wish. He got parody, and uh, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think yeah. it's working though now. I mean, I think even, uh, the media that really have paid attention to the Pac-12, uh, John Wilner of uh, San Jose, who's basically the only guy assigned to do the entire Pac-12 beat. And he sounds like us now. I mean, he's like everything is, is hit in terms of all the things that the Pac-12 is doing wrong and done wrong and all the ways that they've uh, hampered their own teams and scheduling and uh, the way the TV contracts not working all that and uh, uh, you know where this goes from here I don't know but I don't I can't imagine there's a single person happy with how things are going in the Pac-12 when the chancellor at Cal is just killing them now obviously Cal needs revenue and they're really in the hole but uh, the chancellor at Cal 
came out and, and was talking about what's going on, you know, uh, I mean, people, for example, they're making it clear you're losing $20 million a year by being in the PAC 12 per school, uh, over this con, you know, the conference, the big 10 that everybody in the PAC 12 thinks was, uh, was the comparable conference. And, uh, uh, a place like Cal where they're 300 and some million dollars in debt because of their stadium, uh, that really matters. And uh, uh, Larry Scott has no answers for Cal. He's got no answers at all. And uh, I think even with his long-term contract being you know, extended the extra four years during this past year, I wouldn't want to be betting that he's going to make, make those four years. Uh, I, I just think uh, it's not working. He, his, his answers have mostly been wrong. The network situation, when you see how much more the SEC and the Big Ten get out of their affiliations with uh, Fox and, uh, and ESPN, uh, it's, just, it's clear that uh, this is, has not worked at all. His theories of how this is going to work uh, have not worked even a little bit. No. All right. Well, my voice is about to give out. Yeah. Um, it's a good, good one, man. That was a lot of questions. So I appreciate you coming on, Dan. And, and I, I didn't mention the top. If this sounds a little different, I'm, you know, in a hotel room in San Antonio. So we're recording this a little bit different than when I'm at my studio at home. So if it sounds a little different, I do apologize for that. But, uh, on the road, we still wanted to do these podcasts and we had so many questions for you, Dan. We had to get to, and we got to them all. So I'm pretty yeah. happy about that. Well, great questions, you guys. Really, uh, Really appreciate those questions. Thanks, uh, thanks a lot. Uh, and challenging questions and ones that, that you show you're, you're really thinking about this stuff because this is a time when, when everybody's got to be thinking about, you know, where, where does USC football go now? Right. Uh, and because people wanted to go forward and it just did not look like it went forward this year. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. We're both with uscfootball.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to Trader Joe's. And uh, we got more, more podcasts and stuff coming up. So we appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.